Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to all of you. I'm Mete Bukarjuolo, and you're listening to ICANN's music theory program, The Shape of Music. Welcome back to The Shape of Music, a five-part series where we take you through the magic of music, how it works, and what makes it sound so good. This is it. Our final adventure follows the last episode's topic of the Circle of Fifths. This will be the second part of that episode where we will explore more of the functions of this diagram. As a quick recap, last time we started learning about the Circle of Fifths, a diagram which maps out the relationships among the 12 unique tones in Western music. We examined how it was formed and how it displays key signatures. Today, we'll study four more functions of this diagram. The first is how it shows the chords available in any given key. In episode three of this series, On the Keyboard, we learned that a chord is a combination of more than two notes played at the same time. A major chord is made up of a minor third on top of a major third. and a minor chord consists of a major third on top of a minor third. Now let's get into some new content. Pull up the diagram on our website at icanradio.org slash shapeofmusic to follow along. Let's take our familiar friend C for example we know that the C major chord is a part of the key of C. On your circle, look at the two keys on either side of C, F to the left and G to the right. These two chords, F and G, are also major in the key of C. Now going clockwise around the circle three positions, we find the minor chords in the key of C. D, A, and E. The seventh and last chord in the key of C is the B diminished chord. This is made up of two minor thirds on top of each other. So mapping out the chords in the key of C, we find that C is major, D is minor, E is minor, F is major, G is major, A is minor, and B is diminished. Here's the most wild part. This pattern of major, minor, minor, major, major, minor, diminished holds true for any major key. This also gives context for some of the most common chord progressions in Western music. A chord progression is a series of chords. Maybe the most famous one is the 2-5-1 progression. This means that for any given key, you play the chord built on the second note of the scale, that's the 2, the chord built on the fifth note of the scale, also called the dominant, and then the chord built on the first note, or the tonic. 
Let's examine this 2-5-1 progression on C, for example. The 2, or the second note, is D, so we build a D minor triad. The 5, or dominant chord, is G major. And the tonic, of course, is C major. Here's the whole 2-5-1 chord progression on C. The reason this progression sounds so logical to our ears is because it's following the circle of fifths. Notice how it goes D, G, and C, just like on the diagram? That's also why if I played something like 2-5-6, it would sound deceptive or unexpected. The 2 chord, followed by the 5 chord, makes us think we're going to the 1 chord because that's what the circle of fifths suggests. But if we go instead to the 6 chord, in this case A minor, we're going in the opposite direction on the circle. It feels like we're going to the one chord, C, which is the next step on the circle of fifths, but we trick our ears by going in the opposite direction. The reason why our ears predict sounds this way has to do with another core concept of the circle of fifths called the harmonic series. Now, I could go on for hours about the harmonic series, but for today, we'll keep it pretty simple. The harmonic series is a series of related pitches that sound when you play a note. If I play C, for example, you would think that you're only hearing this one tone, but you're not. You're actually hearing a series of what are called overtones, which are kind of like phantom notes that give a note on an instrument its unique timbre or quality of sound. We know from the episode on instruments that music can be produced by strings vibrating at different speeds or frequencies. Well, when a string is played, it's vibrating not only at the full length of the string, but it's also vibrating at half the length, a third the length, a quarter of the length, and so on for infinitely many times. Each of these wavelengths produces a different sound or overtone. If you go to iCanRadio.org slash Shape of Music, you'll find a guide that goes through the science of it all in more detail. You'll also find a video of me demonstrating these overtones on my piano. Check it out if you can. It's really cool how you can hear this whole series of overtones on an instrument as common as the piano. Let me explain the harmonic series this way. Say you go on a walk. When you go on a walk, you're doing a lot of other things too. You're maybe listening to music, talking to your friends, observing nature, perhaps exercising, but in the end, you still just call it a walk. It's the same thing with tones in music. While you say you're just playing one note, you're actually playing a whole series of notes that add to the color of the sound. 
to tie this back to the circle and to why our ears expect certain progressions, the reason this is all related is because adjacent or touching notes on the circle of fifths have pretty similar harmonic series. So when I play a deceptive progression like this, the harmonic series of the first two chords, D and G, align because they're right next to each other on the circle of fifths. But when I play A after that, and not C, the harmonic series are less compatible, so our ears don't expect it. The funny thing is, there's only a one note difference between the C major and the A minor triads, and that's this A in the A minor triad goes to G, in the C major triad. But that one note makes all the difference in what we hear. Isn't it crazy how our ears can predict sounds before we even hear them? It's one of the superpowers that all of us have. Another function of the circle is that it shows relative minor keys. What I mean by that is every major key has what's called a relative minor key associated with it. A relative minor has the same key signature as its relative major. I like to think of it as the major key's shadow. For example, the relative minor of C major is A minor. A minor has the same notes as C major. Here's the A minor scale. And here's the C major scale. And here they are played together. The relative minors are written on the inside of the circle in lowercase letters. One famous example of a piece that changes from its relative minor to the major key is the theme from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. It starts out pretty somber and heavy in B minor. Have a listen. Here it switches to D major, the relative major key. Ah, and now we're back to B minor in an epic arrival of the brass instruments. The use of relative majors and minors can make the listener feel like they have passed over to the shadow of what they were listening to before. It's still the same piece and the same key signature, 
but the atmosphere has, in a way, become inverted. In the Swan Lake theme, Tchaikovsky takes us through a weighted sadness, followed by a ray of hopefulness in D major, just to be overtaken by another, this time heavier, dreadfulness in the return to B minor. It's these types of techniques that make a piece of music memorable and that get us to hold on to our seats while we're listening to. The last offering of the circle for today has to do with Greek modes. What if we took A major's key signature and made a scale on D? Well, that's what we call a Greek mode. Modes are when you take one tone's key signature and put it over another tone. From the circle, I know that A has three sharps, F, C, and G. In the first part of this episode, we talked about how you can find these sharps. So let's play a D scale with these three sharps. The key of D already has F sharp and C sharp, so all we need to do is add G sharp. Here's what that sounds like. This is called the Lydian mode, and it's where you raise, or make sharp, the fourth note of a scale. And it's my favorite mode because it sounds dreamy and kind of magical. In a very famous 90s cartoon called The Simpsons, the theme music is in the Lydian mode. Here's a clip. In total, we've got seven Greek modes. Ionian, which is also our familiar friend, the major scale. Dorian. Phrygian. Lydian. Mixolydian. Aeolian, which is also the relative minor of a key. And finally, Locrian. Greek modes were studied 2,000 years ago by the most well-known philosophers like Plato and Aristotle as having effects on mood and character. This quote from Aristotle's book, Politics, describes these effects. The musical modes differ essentially from one another, and those who hear them are differently affected by each. Some of them make men sad and grave, like the so-called Mixolydian. Others enfeeble the mind, like the relaxed modes. Another, again, produces a moderate or settled temper which appears to be the peculiar effect of the Dorian, and the Phrygian inspires enthusiasm. The philosopher argues that the music you listen to shapes who you are, which to me is a really cool concept and is still believed by many today. In the late 1900s, for example, 
People thought that kids listening to rock and roll music were influenced to become more violent or disruptive. Aristotle is basically saying what we've been learning. Each of these modes has a different color, just like each key has its own color. The more you experiment with each one, the easier it'll be for you to hear the similarities and differences in these colors. We don't have time today to discuss the distinctive colors of each of these modes, but if you'd like to hear more, check out the glossary at the bottom of the page on our website. There you have it, four new functions of this amazing circle of fifths. Now let's backtrack through this episode to review what we've learned. We know now that the circle of fifths is a diagram which explains why Western music is organized the way it is. In the first part of this episode, we observed how we decided on a 12-tone system with each note a fifth apart. We analyzed key signatures and the light and dark sides of the circle. And today, we delved deeper into the nitty-gritty and learned even more about the circle of fifths. We first explored how the diagram visually displays all of the main chords you can find in a key. The starting note plus the two keys on either side of a note on the circle make up the major chords in that scale. The next three consecutive notes going clockwise make up the minor chords. And the seventh and final chord is one more position clockwise to the last minor chord, and it is diminished. Next, we examined the harmonic series and how, when you play a note, you're actually playing a series of overtones that add splashes of color to the sound. And with this knowledge, we found the key to why our ears like certain sounds and not others. Then we observed the shadow of the circle of fifths, which are the relative minor keys drawn on the inside of the diagram. And lastly, we explored Greek modes and how we can give one key the signature of another key and completely alter the sound. An important note to mention before we wrap up is that the circle of fifths and the 12-tone system we've been talking about is popular in Western music meaning in Europe and the Americas. Other cultures have other systems to organize their music with even more than 12 tones. We call these microtonal systems, where each octave has more than 12 notes. For example, Shruti is a 22-tone system which belongs to Indian classical music. Shruti in Sanskrit means what is heard, so the founders of the system decided that you can't fit in more than 22 unique tones, or shrutis, in an octave. Once you go past 22, the tones, they decided, sound so similar that you can't tell them apart. This is a really cool approach to organizing music. Here's an example of shruti music. Ja Yeah. 
At the start of the first part of this episode, we agreed that we were nearing the finish line of this journey. The finish line was kind of blurry though, because we were still a ways away. But now it's finally coming into focus. You're running past the crowds on either side of you towards this finish line, thinking back on all the wonderful things you've learned. Through this journey on The Shape of Music, you not only tapped into your musical sides, but you also learned important lessons in studying cultures from around the world. Concepts in physics, math, you learned some history, and a whole new language. This isn't the end yet though. Your journeys are far from over. Be on the lookout for a recap episode where we will talk through all of what we've learned these past five episodes and put a nice little bow tie on this series. This episode was written and recorded by me, edited by Jackson Poling, produced by Sarah Zwinkless, with music by Nathaniel Wyvern, Scott Holmes, Poddington Bear, and me. Special thanks to Sarah for helping out with the outline for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, I'm Meta Bakarjola, and I will see you all next time on The Shape of Music, where we will walk backwards through the series and appreciate just how much we've learned on this wonderful journey.